podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Anfield Wrap. Neil Atkinson, Adam Smith, Rob Gutman, Paul Senior and Paul Hogan. Uh, Paul's making his debut on the Anfield Wrap, so we'll not mess about, really. Uh, we'll get stuck straight in. We're going to talk about this show. Also coming up, we've got Peter Marshall. He's going to be joining us to talk about his documentary that's airing on Monday in the UK uh, around the smears around Hillsborough. That's to come. But before then, we're talking about Liverpool 2, West Ham United 2. And Rob Gutman, it's five, po- five points dropped from winning positions for Liverpool in two matches. And in both of those matches, you would have said that if Liverpool are in winning positions, they will go on and win the game. It isn't as though they're up against Manchester City. No. <laughs> I don't know where to start, really. I was going to say, or is it one point gained or five points dropped? It's, no, five, it's five points five dropped. Points dropped. It's, it's five points dropped. Points dropped. It's, I know, and I'm joking. Uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to fathom. It feels like we've gone back in, into some sort of a wormhole of 2013, I think, where, where we couldn't trust ourselves even at 5-0 up. Um, uh, I'm trying to get to get at peace with this quite quickly because I've, I've had the conversation in my head over the course of the last month, two months, that eventually life's not going to be as good as it is right now, back then, if that makes sense. When, yeah. we, were, when we were... I thought this, this is the best football I've seen Liverpool team play in a long, long time. The results are coming. We're as good as top of the league. We've got... Games in home, games in hand. We've played all the hard teams. This is just too too good to be true. And, and football law says that eventually you must have a blip. It's just about how... So this is that blip. It's just not allow how sustained it is. That is the question. It can now stop. I'm happy with the blip. I'm comfortable with it. But it is what it is. I, I think, Paul Hogan, that both games have got things in common. I think that this is why the blip is a bit more concerning than one freak result against Bournemouth and let's imagine something a bit different what they've got in common and you know in both games Liverpool took the foot off the gas when they were ahead, when they were ahead. Uh, there's question marks around the defending and the goalkeeper uh, in both games Liverpool end up slinging crosses into the box there are things in common mm. across between Bournemouth and West Ham yeah definitely I mean to be honest I spent most of the game trying to be really really positive and trying to keep that positivity up and arguing with everyone around me about how we can't just jump on this bandwagon about it. It's just the goalie's fault or whatever else. There's a bigger picture to it for me. And yeah, I'm not sure. Again, they started really, really well, but they just seem to lose the way all of a sudden in a game. And I don't know why. I don't know what's going on at the moment. And then in the second half, when they are very much on top, or you know, you're just watching. They put 28 crosses in. You're watching it thinking, lads, there's, there's, they've got a lot of boys, boys in the box there. They were quite comfortable heading it. Slinging 28 crosses into the box. And occasionally, they were getting to a byline. It was, a be- it, was, it was more of a cutback than a cross and all that sort of stuff. But broadly speaking, you were just thinking, come on, just be more patient, lads. Yeah, I just, I just felt... That's why I was trying to be positive. Yeah. And then about 75 minutes, it had gone. My positivity had gone. I was really struggling. I was talking to the guy next to me. I called Dave. I've sat next to him for 10 years. I couldn't tell you his name. But... <laughs> Mate, he, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's constantly, you know, he, he missed the negative. He's not not seeing any positives in anything. And I, I spent the whole time arguing with him about how many positives there were in there. And again, I, I sort of came to that realization myself. Even though I'm still arguing with him, I'm really struggling to find how how we're breaking things down. I felt a little bit like Firmino. I always thought that was Firmino's position, and now the more I see him, and the more I think he's sort of more at home in the centre and. We just didn't seem as fluid. I love Origi, but we just didn't seem as fluid. Uh, we'll come on to Origi. I want to talk at length about Origi. Uh, Adam Smith, there is this commonality, really. It's, it's the fact that it's the consistency of these factors, and that's what 
that's what I found sort of difficult to watch as the game wore on more and more. I mean, we'll come on to talk about the crosses. We'll even we'll come on to talk about the defending and the goalkeeping. The first thing for me is Liverpool go 1-0 up. It's the dream start. They score, they score after five minutes against the side. That's ship nine in the last two. It's meant to be your ideal. It's meant to be this is exactly what you want. And then you're thinking, right, go on, boys. You can, you can put this to bed by 20 minutes here. And then that intensity just completely disappeared. Yeah, I just can't get my head around it, really. And I think it's just... It's just problematic. And I, I, on the one hand, I kind of think, you know, Liverpool being not arrogant, I don't know, but I don't know what the phrase is, but, but being complacent perhaps against lesser teams as being a problem that spanned years, managers, players, whatever. We just seem to do that, go a goal, you know, get the goal. And I, on the cop, I was thinking, this is brilliant. We'll score four or five here, get back onto the winning ways, put Bournemouth behind us, fine. But the intensity just dropped off and I was looking and thinking, are they, are they tired? Are there, are, there, are, there, are there too many miles in the legs already? I was looking at, at Milner, who was getting up and down very well, but he still looked a little bit leggy. And I thought, you know, is the problems that I just can't, I just can't, I can't get my head around what's, what's going on. And the, the really strange thing is that it's that there seems to be a real mental drop off that's happened, and that's what's confusing me the most. Is I can understand a drop off in creativity without Coutinho, but I, I was watching the Bournemouth match with a friend of mine, and I said the thing I'd be most impressed with this season is Liverpool's, you know, mental strength. Um, you know, we, we come up against whatever, you know, oh, you can't break down deep lying teams. We batter them. We can't, you know, you can't if you don't score early against Sunderland, it might be a really difficult match. We still get the win. I was saying, yeah, I'm really impressed with that. And then the next minute, we just completely collapse. And that's not all. Coutinho isn't the only one who had the mental strength to to be able to to kind of have that fortitude. It's just a very very strange thing, compounded, I think, by the fact that the injuries are combined with certain players like Firmino just not playing very well, dropping out of form. There's Paul Senior, there's this... Let's talk about both. I mean, I'm, and I'm going to use Bournemouth again. Liverpool go 2-0 up against Bournemouth. And if you'd have said to me at the minute Liverpool go 2-0 up against Bournemouth, they're going to go in half-time 4-0. I wouldn't have said, you're mad. I'd have said, that's broadly speaking mm. in line with what I've seen so far. Liverpool go 1-0 up against West Ham. And I, I don't... I don't think it's complacency. I could be wrong, and it could be that Jurgen Klopp thinks I'm wrong. But the reason why I don't think it's complacency is that you don't show that sort of complacency two weeks on the bounce. If you've got a manager like Jurgen Klopp, he surely told you it was complacency week one, mm-hmm. and then you, 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 you're aware of it and you're trying to deal with it week two. I, I don't know if it's sort of West Ham just managed to impose themselves a little bit tactically, but it just seemed to me like the... Do you know what I think we miss? I think that it felt like the exuberance had gone. Like you saw them against Watford and you got the impression they'd just been happy to play an attack all day. You saw them first half the against Hull. The swagger, yeah, that yeah, this, yeah, this is this is that this is just something that's gonna happen, it's gonna go bang, bang, bang. And I that's where I do wonder about both Coutinho and Sturridge. If this idea of like for instance Sturridge is half an hour when he comes on against Watford, is half an hour of Daniel Sturridge going, you think these lads are good looking how good I am. Mm. And I almost wonder if it's they're not reveling it, reveling in it enough. If in both of those games they've almost gone, they're almost trying to be too professional. I don't know quite whether or not I'm phrasing this the right way. That they're almost trying to go right. We've got one nil. Let's just hold this for a while, save our energy, and then we're going to go again. Whereas what they should be doing is going, lads, this is great. We're one nil up against these here. Let's just cut loose and play our football. I could be talking complete broken biscuits, but it doesn't seem to me as though it's likely to be when in the cold light of day. It's likely to be that this manager, especially this manager, is letting a football team be complacent two weeks on the bounce. No, I, I don't. I don't envisage that he's the type of manager who was who'd allow that sort of complacency, but or, or think think that it's a thing that can be allowed. But that's not how football turns out. I mean, 
you can't, you don't allow for 30 yard free kicks. You know, that's that's not something you get on the training ground. Um, so, the, but the we, have, we haven't been good for the five minutes, maybe even to, um, we were good till 10, mm. and then 10 till 25, we're not very good. I think I'll, I'll take just the West Ham game. I've watched a bit of West Ham recently because they've been playing Man United a bit. And I thought they were decent enough in both games where I think it, it takes West Ham to go down a little bit to respond. Almost, And you can see almost from Randolph's reaction for Origi's goal sort of how much it meant to him. So I think I think West Ham have had a bit of a say in it. I think they had a bit of a, a wake-up call because we scored so early. But coming in... How can I put it? The, the swag is definitely gone from Liverpool, and I've I'd felt that prior to Bournemouth. To be honest with you, uh, who's the who's the game before Leeds? There's the non Sunderland. Sunderland. There's the non Southampton and the Sunderland. Yeah, and I've, I felt in them games it wasn't quite looking as fluid as it was against Watford and and Leicester and them sides, and we we haven't really had the settled eleven that we did have. I mean, that was probably yesterday was probably the closest thing to our first eleven, but you're missing maybe the the key ingredients in Coutinho. Um, so there's there's been a bit of messing around. Like I I had it down in my mind that likes the likes of Chan was slowing us down a little bit, and we weren't as fluid because of that. And then we had another, we, there was another change against Bournemouth. There was no matter Lucas was in and and whatnot. So I don't know. I I think there's a there seems to be like a bit of a confidence issue, which seems mad when you've had. You know, I mean, if you take this as a normal season, it would be a good start to the season, wouldn't it? But just the position they've been in, considering they've been to Arsenal and beaten them, and been to Chelsea and beaten them, and, and are already finding themselves behind them after was it twelve games or something? It, it, you shouldn't be in that position because the results that you haven't managed to get are against sides. You know, we did the unwrap show the other week, mm. Rob, where you go, well, what points do you get from these games? You go, well, Liverpool, Bournemouth, three points; Liverpool, West Ham, three points, and it's not working out that way. Yeah, I, I agree with Paul that I think West Ham had a little more to do with it than we'll give them, than we're inclined to give them credit for, and maybe, it, and maybe complacency is a slight factor in as much as we have we've done our away complacency, we did our home complacency here because it was, it was, it was the first time that we've I think pegged the team back, taken the lead, that their response hasn't been, oh shit, we're going to get hammered. Look at, if you look at the, the example of most of the other teams that have come to Anfield, they haven't, respond, they haven't actually opened up at 1-0 down. If anything, they've, they, they've gone deeper initially. And um, West Ham didn't. West Ham just went, fuck it. We're just not going to... You know, they, 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 they went hell for leather at us. And I think that threw us. I think we're off balance because of personnel issues. I think we're off balance because I think Bournemouth was probably a, psychologically a seismic shock. I think that would have really... Out of that, would had to. You, I don't think we can underestimate how much that must have reverberated around Melwood for most of last week. And I think um, West Ham played on that really well. Uh, they played on the keeper's fragility. And, and at one all, you know what? It's just another test in a season. Uh, we can psychoanalyze, we can look at big pictures, we can look at endemic problems. But the tale of this will be written in the next few games. It's as simple as that. It's too early for us to call this as some big as, as a pattern. And that's not me trying to be positive. I just can't say it at the moment. There is, you mentioned the foot off the gas. The next thing there is to point out the, the question marks around Paul Hogan, the, the defending and the goalkeeper. It's If you talk about the goal, if you think about the opening goal, of the West Ham equaliser, the free kick, there's two headers in the Liverpool box where I think on both occasions lads could have just put the foot through it but it's one of them we've all played when you get this thing I'm heading this you know it happens, it, happens. Yeah. it just it happens quite quickly back to back so it looks a bit scruffy then there's the way in which we're constantly trying to nick the ball back Lallana rather than stands his man up feels as though it's there to be won gives a bit of a cheap free kick away 
the wall isn't great. It's been looked at the wall by a number of different people and people have pointed out there's a couple of weaknesses in there and West Ham know what they're doing. And then lastly, the goalkeeper is basically still should save it. His starting position isn't perfect, far from it, but he still should get down to it. It's a, it's this catalogue of errors, but I think the key one is the goalkeepers and it, that's, that's what he's there for, to dig everyone else everyone else out of these little holes they've created for themselves. Yeah, I mean, I think from a defensive point of view, I was a centre-half, and, and but I wasn't a good centre-half, so putting my foot through the ball was pretty much what I did. And I think sometimes there's a little bit of that in that team. They, they are that good. I think sometimes the... the they know that that's that good and they try and play when they don't need to play and, and maybe they just need to get rid and put the, the boot through it. Just get it down the other end of the pitch. And it's not any of the natural thing to do for any of them. So I think there's a bit of that for me and I think there's, there was a new number of times in that game where that needed to happen and we haven't got that player. Um, I think Carragher brought that up at one point and obviously he was the perfect player for that. He was more than willing to put his foot through. Um, so that, that was one of it for me. In terms of the wall and stuff, I, I, I sit... So the row 61 in the cop, and you could see it from the beginning that he, he was going further and further across. But we were saying before that I still think he should have saved it. Um, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what he was thinking at the time. Whether he, as I say, whether he, whether he was giving him that chance to to, to the, tell them where he wanted them to put it, but it just didn't, it didn't come off in that sense. I don't know. Can, am I alright to go on the goalkeeper then? As much as you want. Yeah. Okay. Um, the, the thing for the thing for me is with him, um, John John put in his uh, John Gibbons put in his match ratings yesterday about sort of he likes to start from five and work back and I, I sort of I was thinking about where you've made these decisions to change key areas and we've we've done it again at left back this season and you go okay you've got Milner and you've got Moreno and they're the two players playing for that position there so you take take that take the goalkeeper out of it for a minute you go. All right, you're going to play James Milner, who's not a left back there, but you, you look at across all his attributes and you go, you try and point score it a little bit, almost like top trumps or something like that, where, you know, Moreno's faster than Milner, he's left footed, but, you know, Milner can, can more, will concentrate better his final balls, better, blah, blah, blah. And you probably get to the end of it and go, well, Milner wins based on these things. Do it with the goalkeeper. I don't, I've seen him well, about 10 games now. Liverpool, I can't tell you one area he wins. I, I literally can't, and I feel, I know Adam's got his own opinion on it, but I, and people are saying, well, the defence kept so many clean sheets and stuff. Simon Mignolet makes the occasional error, and it's cost us points. Sunderland last season, there's loads of examples of it where he's done silly things. I would say for ninety percent, ninety-five percent of the time, he's a very good goalkeeper. I've seen him made stops that. Other other goalkeepers in the Premier League can't make some can to Hayed and Courtois and, and Lloris, no, undoubtedly better goalkeepers. I don't see anything from this lad that's anywhere in in his league. And you don't think his kicking is no? I don't. I honestly don't. There's a bit of it where I think it's all right, but it's not. This it's better mar- than Minulis. I'm not saying it's great. It is better than Minulis. Is it marginal though, Rob? Because what I'm seeing of Maybe. him, it's not. It's not like where you look at Bravo and you go, oh, he is good with his feet. But it, I'd say Joe Hart is generally better goalkeeper than him. But I can see through the way Man City are always on the ball why you'd want someone who can almost act like a sweeper. Yeah. There, I get that. I don't see it with, with Carrius. He's not this big commanding goalkeeper. I watched Larice the other day and the ball drops in the very, very corner of the 18-yard box and he's out and he's dominating. I thought we were getting this sort of keeper who was better with his feet and a bit more commanding, good at crosses, everything that Mignolet sort of wasn't. I'm not saying he was... Terrible at it, Mignolet, but he, there was 
there was flaws in this game, and there was points. There's shows I've done for the, for the Anfield rap, and I've I've lynched them. But you've got to make a decision on this now because it, it's costing us points in the season. We can't afford to throw them away, and you might you might kill them. Let Carrius, but he's four million quid. We've done it. We've done it to more expensive players in the past. It's four four Balotelli's, for for example. The, val- the value just did it to Benteke last season. Yeah, we've done it. To, we've done it to loads. Markovic. We've done it to loads of people. You've ju- you've just got to pull him now because he's not good enough. He might be good enough in a couple of years' time, but he's, he's not. As uh, I think it was Carragher who said it yesterday. He's not nineteen like De Gea was. He's twenty three. He's played a hundred league games. Mignolet is probably of the same age when he signs for Liverpool, and I'm telling you now, Mignolet is a much better goalkeeper. You see that. I'm not a carious, you know, sort of uh, cheerleader, and I think you know we've we've had a bit of banter yeah. on Twitter about it and stuff. But I'm not. All I want is the best goalkeeper for Liverpool, and the the big problem I've got is I don't think Minilay is a better goalkeeper, and I think that there's a there's a bit of a rewriting of the narrative of of how poor Minilay was a lot of the time. Actually. Sorry, can I come and across I, I just I just think I, I got that with Danny Ings last season, where people were write, were writing them off to be this. Well, sorry, weren't writing them off. We're making them out to be. This unbelievable striker, where well, he's got this quality, and we're missing this, blah blah blah. I, just, I, I mean, they save shots. But <laughs> I, I think my thing is, I think the goalkeepers are as bad as each other, but they're bad in different ways. That's where, that's what I think the big thing is. Um, for for me, I think if you've got a, a situation where you don't have a huge amount of faith in either goalkeeper, then you go with the one that lets the team do more of what you want the team to do. And the back line definitely drops deeper with Mignolet. They're a lot less willing to pass the ball back to Mignolet. They don't trust him to kick it, whatever else. They push a lot higher up with Carrius because he comes out of his box and they're more willing to pass the ball back to him. And that allows us to play a better style of football, I think. Now, in that situation, when you've got the two of those things, the obvious thing for me personally is I would say, would you give it to the one that lets the team play better if you don't really trust either of them? And I think if you look at, say, the four goals that we conceded at Arsenal and the four that we conceded at Bournemouth, they're both, I think the keepers could have done better in two or three of those goals in both games in totally different ways. So they're not, you know, I just don't think there's enough to to, to separate them on shot stopping, blah, 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 that, that's there. And, you know, I know I've been, I've been banging on about this before we even sacked Rodgers, that I, I can't understand how, how questions about the goalkeeping coach aren't being asked by the by the press. And I know it gets you know, people talking about it on Twitter and stuff, but we've, we've the only you look at the, I know the drop off in Rayner happened before Rachterberg came in, but you've got Rayner at the end of his Liverpool career was basically all over the show. You've got Brad Jones dives the wrong way at shots. You've got Bogdan concedes from corners. You've got. Mignolet, virtually every shot on target goes in goal and you've got the, the, the problems going on with Carrius now. The only thorough thing through all of that is the goalkeeping coach, right? And suggests. the big thing... Well, sorry, Neil, just, just the on, one finish, thing I want to yeah, say is just that the, the big thing for me with that question of the goalkeeping coaches, I don't know what they do. I, you know, I haven't got a clue. I've never been a goalkeeper. I've never been there behind the scenes. But I assume one of the things they might do is help a keeper set up for a free kick, for example. That's something I think they probably would do. And we've had two examples now of two different goalkeepers setting up a wall abysmally, set, being in totally the wrong position for, for, for free kicks. Sunderland, Mignolet with Sunderland last year when the wall was outside the goal and Carrius yesterday. And I, I just, I think, the, the, the one thing I'll say just before you come in here is that I know someone who watches the Bundesliga religiously and they said to me, honestly, he's one. Of, he was the second best goalkeeper in the Bundesliga last season behind uh, what's his face. Um, you know, he genuinely is a very good goalkeeper. And Andrew Beasley tweeted me saying, 
at some point questions have got to be asked about how we're signing keepers that have got brilliant shot stopping stats that all of a sudden can't stop shots when they come to Liverpool and that, that's whichever goalkeeper you're going with they're both dodgy so what, what are we going to do well, but, but on this I just want to do this thing on the goalkeeper coach because I think it's important what I don't understand is the surety with which people use the language around the goalkeeping coach I don't understand these people who, who, are, who feel as though they're comfortable to say with such certainty that there's a problem with X when they don't know. And there's another thing here as well, which is that Kenny Dalglish, <coughs> um, Brendan Rodgers and Jurgen Klopp, all three of whom were pretty aggressive in terms of sacking staff throughout the time as they've been Liverpool, whilst they've been at Liverpool, have kept the same goalkeeper coach. And they've been pretty aggressive, as is my point here. You know what I mean? They've made, they've made Chris, quite significant Chris Morgan, who was well yeah. revered. Yeah, they've yep. made quite significant changes, Adam. And just this is my thing on this is that not one of them. Now, it could be, and I think it's very possible that, you know, you could argue that they might, they might listen, they might just have a blind spot where it's concerned, all of them, because they're very much different types of managers than those who care about that sort of stuff. So I'm not saying that, but what, what I find difficult with the rhetoric around it is this idea that that's three people who I, who I know know much more about football and goalkeeper coaches than me and practically anybody else, like 99.9% of the worldwide population, and they haven't sacked him. I, I totally accept that completely. And I, I am not saying if we get rid of John Atterberg, the whole world will be brilliant, our goalkeepers will be amazing. I don't know that's the case. What I am saying is that I, I can't say that that's a coincidence that that all four of those goalkeepers, five of those goalkeepers, whatever it is that I've mentioned, have all been put... And all three of those managers, none of them had a decent goalkeeper during... None of them had a goalkeeper that you would say he was brilliant during their time at the club, would you? None of them would you would go that you know the goalkeeper was nailed down brilliant no, so I don't I don't I'm not I, I, could, I totally agree with you and I do bang the, the, the drum but it's because I, I can't see how it's a coincidence that there are so many problems don't and you if just we think had, they're not very good goalkeepers well but that's obviously a possibility but all I can go is off my mate who watches the Bundesliga I don't I can't you know I've got no opinion on it whatsoever on how he performed there but my mate who does watch it watch it all the time said to me you've got a steal when we bought Carrius he's brilliant he's going to you know you're going to be blown away by him that's all I can go off so if that's the case and, and and, you know, and the stats, Andy, Andrew Beasley, as I say, tweeted saying that they've got, he had good shot-stopping stats before he came to us. So all I'm saying is that, that must be an area where there's, there's something weird going on. And if we had... If we'd have bought Torres, say, right, who was banging in the goals left, right and centre in Spain, came over to us and couldn't hit a barn door, and Sean Dundee was the attacking coach, wouldn't we say, what have we got Sean Dundee as the attacking coach for? That, that's the sort of thing that I mean is that... I don't well, know, I don't think we it do might do not that, fix anything. But I don't think we do but, do that. I think that, you know, you look at, for instance, bad transfers. You buy, you buy a bad outfield player. You buy an outfield player, you, buy, you spend 32 million quid on Christian Benteke and all everyone talks about is how the system doesn't suit him. When he struggles, no one's saying I'm, I'm, I don't know Peplins as his coach. Well, but that's yeah. which is which I think is that's my, it's kind of my point because it's not actually a big conversation that we've been having about the goalkeeping coach anyway. There was the the chat about the, Roger should bring in a defensive coach when we were having all those where we were conceding left, right, and centre, couldn't set up a defence. That was a conversation we should bring in a goalkeeping coach. Now, I, I, as I, I say, I don't think it's a I don't think it's an all a solve all whatever. I just think I think it's balmy that we haven't had a decent goalkeeper. Or Everton since talking about Rainer this when it was in his thing. Can, can you know, I, well, 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 I'm going to keep going on this because this, this okay. gets my attention, and then I'll come over to you now, Rob. Do Everton have a good goalkeeper coach? What's Man City's goalkeeper coach like? Because my my point on this is that we can there have been there has been for three seasons criticism of Manchester City's goalkeeping and the decisions that they're making, and that involves now two goalkeepers, one of whom's kept goal for England. Everton have had Tim Howard. They've got Stecklenburg and Robles, and people are saying they're not very good goalkeepers. 
they're not criticising the coaching and they've had they've had Tim Howard Tim Howard every season broadly speaking for five seasons it got worse for Everton again I as I say, I'm not saying that I'm definitely right and everybody's definitely right. I'm totally accept, I totally accept what your point is there and I think it's a valid one and I, I don't think I'm right. But what I think is that we haven't got a goalkeeper we can trust and we haven't had one since before Akterberg became the goalkeeping coach. Now, whatever you can call that total coincidence, he might be brilliant. He might be the best goalkeeping coach in the entire world. We, you know, we don't really know. But I can't understand how... I wouldn't trust either of our goalkeepers and I wouldn't trust us to buy a decent one either because we brought, you know, the goalkeeping coach, I would assume, is part of the conversation on a transfer about which goalkeepers to come in, which means that he's signed off on Adam Bogdan, who couldn't catch a cold. So we, we don't so, know that. Does, no, you, you would assume we, that's the guy. I mean, you know, good again, managers have any, signed off. Uh, well, I, yeah, but it's it's you know, it, it, it just it just confuses me. I think is the issue. I will half agree with you and half disagree on Akterberg. I just think I'm with Neil on this one. I just don't think we can know. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking from 1991 till Pepe Reina comes in in 2006, we didn't really have a keeper anybody was happy with. Jersey has about six months maybe, but generally we're not happy, and that's all pre-Axelberg, I think. So oh, it is, yeah, because he doesn't so, come so in until after you know Valero, what? I, does he? I, I, I get. I think there's a human nature thing to look for a scapegoat there, but the, but the first scapegoat should be the manager really with the, the keeper because exactly. whatever the goalkeeper, whatever the the goalkeeping coach is doing, I mean, whenever you see training things, it tends to be about conditioning and things like that, maybe sharpening up their reflexes. The guy who says how many yards you give between you and the defence, the guy who says you kick long or you kick to your fullback, has to be the manager. Yeah, the I, well, manager, I'm talking about the setup of the wall though, which I think I is pretty good. I don't think manager. that's going to be the manager. I, do, I don't think that is. I mean, we don't know. I, I suppose I is the whole point which is totally fair. But I think if you... Listen, if you said to me, we're going to go and buy a goalkeeper in January, yeah. I'd be getting the party poppers out. I'm not, let's all stick with Carrius, he's going to be amazing. I don't think he is, but I don't think Mignolet is the solution. That's I'm, my I'm, big problem. This side of it, I'm agreeing with you on, because I think, you know what? If, if from game, next game on to the ne for, for the next 10 games, Carrius just goes on to have 9 out of 10 performances... I promise you, when we go back and look at these first ten, where we will, we will reappraise these first ten and go, do you know what? He was only just out on that free kick. Maybe it was just confidence was shut. I, I, what I'm getting at is, I don't think we'll look at. I think we might look at these as com what, these as confidence issues rather than that this is what he's about as a keeper. He doesn't pause top trumps list. I agree totally with you. He's not scoring. He's not scoring anywhere. No. Even his even his um, much venerated. Well, potentially venerated kicking was exposed when he kicks one out for a goal kick. I've seen him do it at Wigan as well. Yeah, I, but hang on, no, no, hang on, hang on. I've, I've got you. I'm no, it's all right. Yeah, go on. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> no one's taking me down this season. Um, <laughs> let's put it this way. Yeah, if we, I, I, someone, a keeper I slaughtered the last year, year and a half, Joe Hart. Someone said he's coming January one. Now I'm actually delighted. Oh. Having said that, I still. I can live in both universes at once. I don't necessarily think Carrius is, is a dead project. Nor do I. Um, I think we... I agree with you. I think we are... We may go back to Mignolet with, with rose-tinted goggles. I totally agree with your point about... I think the team functions better with Carrius for better or for worse than it does with Mignolet. You know, you can see, yes, my, my, my mind's eye, I'm seeing some saves Mignolet made. I can't remember a single save Carrius has made yet. But I don't apart think that's star, fair. Apart, apart from a couple of star jumps. But this doesn't mean Carrius is, is dead in the water. But me. I think he's done a couple... I think he has done a couple of good saves that, that we're sort of forgetting about. He said he was a brilliant one-on-one again in the, in the Bournemouth match that he saved That's early on. That's the star jump But the, the, there was one in, in the match yesterday as well where I think... And this is what I'm talking about when I say one keepers. I think they're both bad, but in their own way. The moment when there's a long ball and it's Lovren and their striker in a foot race and their striker's got Lovren beat 
and Carriers comes out and heads it out for a, a throw-in. Mm. Mignolet doesn't even leave his line for that. So I, it, it, but we can't. But that's not a save. That's not a big save. That's no, not a big, big moment. Yeah. But it, but I think it, it's it's something with the, which the goalkeeper has done, which the other one wouldn't have done. But the other one maybe would have saved the, the simple one last week where it rebounds in front of the striker. I don't know. I think I think you're trading by, by going back to Minula. You're trading one set of problems back for for another set of problems. Um, f- for me. The, the, the defence look more comfortable with, with Carrius on the ball. They're more willing to go back to him. Um, they weren't willing to go back to Mignolet at all. And I, 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 The guy I was sitting next to, I was saying, I, you know, I actually think Mignolet would have saved that free kick. I think he probably would have saved that free kick. But I also think there probably would have been 10 other situations within that game where our back four would have been put into difficult positions and who knows what might have happened, maybe in that totally. position that we were talking about before, where actually we might have conceded goals in, in different ways. So I, I think, for me, I, I, I mean, I stick with Carius in, in the sense of I think he fits better with what we're trying to do at the moment. Is the is the Paul Hogan first? Rob before says if he's blaming anyone for anything, he's blaming the manager. And is there sort of a wider conversation here, which is about picking your moments a little bit? Like, and it's not the, the manager doesn't know, but the idea that you start every season on a trying to win the league fund. And that now we're in a position where I believe that the money was there. People can say that they disagree with that, but I believe the money was there. Liverpool made a profit in the window. And Liverpool, even if they've got a bargain, have taken maybe a bit more of a gamble on what's a pretty key position, a difficult position to take a gamble in than, than they actually had to in the summer window. And this is where I think mm. that there's, you know, the, the manager's been fantastic since he's come in. This is part of the 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 strikes and gutters of football, is that at some point somebody on a show like this has to say, Maybe, just maybe, it was one to do 20, 25 million on, even if he doesn't believe in that kind of thing, to get yeah. someone in who's a bit more of a finished product, even if he wants this idea we're all in constant development, that it might have been worth doing that rather than thinking, you know what, can do a bit of clever business here. I like this fella and I think he'll only get better in the next three seasons. Possibly. I mean, I think if goalkeepers are is an unusual position, I think isn't it's it? really hard. I don't it's really think hard. values of goalkeepers work the same as outfield players yeah, neither. So, right. you, you know. What do we pay for Pepe Reina? <laughs> it was six, six million in two thousand. Even at the time, it wasn't a lot of money at the time, and yet he was at that point. He was already one of the, the the goalkeepers who you were looking at as the next, you know, the next top goal. It's one of the top goalkeepers. Two, yeah. So you, I, I don't think value works in the same way as with an outfield player. So I, I, obviously, there's 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 a select number of goalkeepers if you could spend twenty five million pounds on, and you know what you're buying, but. Anything below that, them up and coming goalkeepers, it's really hard to and judge. And City have spent value. a lot of money on Bravo. Mm. Yeah, as an example, to get Bravo, they spent a lot of money there to get him in, and and there's there's question marks around him in a not dissimilar way. Should Paul. we have bought two Neil? Should we have done a 2003? I, my personally, I looked at it as Mignolet as he's not going to, he's not good enough to compete. I would have fucked him straight off and brought in two and gambled that way. I think that I, I sort of think that there's something in that, but I'd say the opposite. I think. And I think this is where this, this conversation always gets out of hand. And you and I have done this in the past. Mignolet is not not good enough to compete. Mignolet is one of the best. He's somewhere between fifth and tenth best goalkeeper in the country, dependent on a couple of little factors. When we sat here last year and I got you to list all the players you'd buy in the summer. No, this is serious. And no, I got no. you to list them all. And you named seven goalkeepers. You didn't name 15. No, no, no. And this is, but I think that this is part of the problem where this, this whole conversation ends up getting really, really polarised. Not least because people were determined to say that Mignolet was really, really bad. He wasn't. He just isn't good enough for us. For being where we be. And I, I, this Adam's point now is that we may well and now be in a situation where we managed to end up with two goalkeepers who may, may not be good enough for where we want to be um, and that's that's problematic I, I think that there's 
De Gea, and I think that it's almost skewed by the fact that De Gea is so good, mm. that De Gea and Courtois are so good. Czech is very, has very much become a, he saves everything, he's your goalkeeper. And, and then there's just a bit of a gap. I even think Lloris is overrated, to be honest with you. I think there's then a bit of a gap. And then there's a lot of lads knocking around who are all... I think Lloris is sort of in the, in the gap between those three. Everyone else, the sort of Lloris very much in fourth for me. But I mean, that's just my I, view in terms of what I see. But stylistic point that both Adam first made and that Paul made. I'm looking at yesterday and thinking, do you know what, Mignolet might be the guest, best keeper West Ham could ever have. He might be the best that's keeper That's exactly West what Brom. he is. That's a great shout. But for, so he may be the seventh, eighth in the league, but he, but for what the way we play. Yeah, exactly. Maybe yeah. he's the 15th. That's our yeah, problem, I, I think. Well, no, because I don't, I don't think for one second Adam Randolph's boss with his feet. No, okay, I, but the lad for Southampton, who is it the other week, who's kicking like a genius? No, that's right? Forster. You're thinking uh, he, his kicking's awful. Who's the Sunderland, thinking, Sunderland Pickford. guy? Sorry. Pickford. Pickford looks Pickford. like he can kick, kick, kick like a dream, but he's still going out on the island Sunderland and having a lovely time with his mates. <laughs> the, idea that, the idea that you lash him in golf for Liverpool, I mean, trust me, I think he looks fabulous and I'd, I'd I do know. it. But like, what I mean is there is that the, he's still got loads of maturing to do as a footballer even right now. He's not played 21st team games yet. Do you think there's, a, there's an ambition problem with goalkeeper? Because I think the minute... FSG turns up, and I'm an FSG fan. Um, the goalkeeper was always seen as as a problematic area because because of the wages involved with, with Rainer, that they went well. There's a place we can we can save money. You might be right, Paul, but I think the thing I'd say on that is that, for instance, you just look at Ferguson's record with goalkeepers. He bought a million of the bastards, <laughs> yeah, and he yeah. just turned them round, and he gets six to twelve yeah. months, and it'd be like right, that's him done. He's out the way now. Tottenham had a problem with Paul Robinson. They then went and bought Carlo Cusini, Brad Friedel, and Hugo Lloris. There's been no problem since. Because they bought sure things. Them, them three are all sure things. One, one's a top, top player in the France side. The other two were top quality goalkeepers. So in the Premier does League. with Van der Sar in the end. He actually yeah. gets bored because Van der Sar wasn't his his, his normal That's kind of pick. Fifteen million pound, thirty odd year old, you know, from Juventus. So but who's the Van der Sar? Okay, not not Van der Sar. Van der Sar became, but the Van der Sar he was there. Who is who's even the Brad Friedel? Who are the sure? That's things? the question, isn't that, it? That's, well, it's a tough one for me. Mediocre sure. For me, you're, you're looking at last season. We we were all pointing the finger and say the defense was. Rickety because of Mignolet and Mignolet had a big role to play in that and actually the back four apart from it was the back four's unsure the unsurety in the back four was because of Mignolet this season the back four look and obviously coming off the last two games it's hard to say but they look a lot more comfortable they look, they look safer and for me it's that whole argument of well surely you've got to give Carrius some credit for being part of that because if you're going to Quite save right, the goalkeeper yeah. for being part of a bad defence, and it's his fault. Then when we've got a good defence, he's got to be given I think, some kind of credit I'll, as well. I'll, I'll sort of counter-argue, and I'll probably come up against opposition. I think if he's assigned Sam Mignolet in the summer and judged them on what he's done this season, and this season alone, there's been no problems. Like I was furious when he lost his place, because I just wanted, what's this lad done to earn, to earn his place? Because I'm a great believer in the fact that the form should count, and I thought... Mignolet was in great form. I thought he came in against Tottenham and had a good game. I thought he came in against Leeds and looked excellent. Made a couple of good saves there. And if, if this is a case now where Carrius just can't be dropped because he's made his choice, you're his number one. Well, what's the point of Mignolet being here? He's probably going to go in January. What more can I do? And there's been seasons in the past where whoever was on the bench for Mignolet will have felt exactly the same. Brad Jones, there has to be... The same way as if James Milner's having a stink and Alberto Moreno's got every right to go knock on the door and go, what's going on here? You know, he's he's having a meg. Throw me in, see what happens. It should work the same for goalkeeper. Should it? Yeah, I think it should. Why so, what, so, so I'm saying... I'm we, oh, sorry, Neil. We were all talking in the summer about healthy competition in yeah, the goalkeeping yeah. position. Well, I, I, it's not competition. I would never, I would never talk about healthy goal competition in a goalkeeping position, and the reason why is because I don't. I, I flip it on its head. I'm Simon Mignolet, and 
we're under pressure and I'm not having I don't feel like I'm necessarily having that good a day and I know that I make one mistake and I'll get bombed back out for this fella because it's healthy competition no it did it did and it shouldn't have done and genuinely shouldn't have done and it happened the season before with Brad Jones and it shouldn't have done not least because Brad Jones literally jumped the wrong way and however bad John Achterberg is he's not making people do that <laughs> you know there's there is there is sort of the point where I think and, and but this is part of the mania of that, and I will. I do sort of wonder to a certain extent if one of the things that's been in the manager's head is these all like this fella in goal. I'll just make this change because I think that this this other fella might be all right. I wonder if that's been there because he's very mm. into the way in which an atmosphere works and the way in which the whole side works. I do wonder if that's been there because we've we've all lost our shit a little bit on Minulay in that he's quite good. And you're right, he might not be the right player for us. And if you say, you know if you want to say me, I'll, I'll I'll make a change tomorrow. Mm. But if you'd ask me in the summer, as I said, sounds. But that's not my point. My point is in the same way that I think I think you might be right, Rob. That in ten games' time, you might all be looking at each other and going, you know what? I think Carius is quite good. Mm. The question is whether or not in ten games' time. We're looking at it going, Christ, I wish we had those five points. Yeah. I, I think the thing, to, the answer to your question, Paul, about what, what did he do, I think it is, is more than just, you know, saving shots or whatever. And I think my point about how the team plays, I think that's what's in Klopp's head more than anything else. Because I, I just don't think there's, there's an argument about the fact that the defence drops deeper with Mignolet. They're not as happy with him. They're not as comfortable with him. Their heads go. They don't know how to pass to him. They don't know what he's going to do. I think that's been going on for months. And I think the big thing for Klopp is, do you know what? They're both going to let goals in that they shouldn't let in, but this one lets the team play how I want the team to play. Okay, I was going to do another question, but we've been talking for about seven weeks. Um, the second half um, of the game is, I think, if anything, Liverpool have dug themselves out of the hole they were in. Uh, they get the goal, Paul Hogan, 47, 48 minutes, and it's come off the back of serious pressure. I mean, you know, it was a real, how can you withstand this? Oh, it transpires, just can't. So it's a spell of, spell of pressure. Suddenly it was there. Um, and then it didn't go off the boil straight away, but the same thing happened again. It got we got to about sixty sixty five, and Liverpool didn't. You weren't clear where it was coming from, and I think that's when I look back. When I've looked back at the game, I think that's what's killed me. Is Mane aside, and I think Mane has a good game. Yeah, I agree. I think Mane has a good game. Mane aside, in terms of those attacking players and the full-backs, so everyone by the two centre-halves, Clavin has a good second half, everyone by the two centre-halves and Henderson, I'm looking at them, the, the, other, the other seven outfield players, and I just don't know where it's coming from. Yeah. I'm watching Nathaniel Klein lump the ball into the box or to, just take the wrong option. And I think that's what I'm watching. I'm watching, with, again, maybe with, the, with, with, with a little nod towards Milner, of those seven players who you can say are the attacking players, the two full-backs, the two ahead of Henderson, the three forwards, I'm going, where's it coming from here, lads? Where's it coming from? Yeah, no, I agree. I think, uh, I, I, I sort of alluded to it before, was that they just don't look quite as fluid as they did before. And uh, I think Firmino playing in that central position means he's move, he's coming out of it all the time and there's people creating spaces in different ways. Origi is... is I, I don't think Origi's done anything wrong. You, can, you know, four goals, four games, you can't, you can't argue with that. But... I'm just about to, but keep going. <laughs> but he's he's very much he's in that central position, and and, and I I don't think that fluidity is the same as it was. Mane quite likes got you know Mane will go wandering, and and he did. Uh, I think both of the goal both of the goals come from Mane. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, he goes wide um, left on both. Yeah, so. But but it just doesn't seem to happen quite as naturally. Firmino doesn't look as comfortable in that position, and the more that that's happening, the more the fullbacks become more and more. Our outlet out wide. Uh, we seem to get, as we get more and more, or, or we lose more and more patience. We seem to become narrower and narrower and narrower, and then it becomes literally Klein or Min, uh, or Milner put the ball, put a good ball into the box. 
And that's set up for West Ham for me. West, West Ham could do that all day. I think they gave Milner the freedom of the park. And, that's, and Milner, good as he can be, you know, if, if the movement's not right ahead of him, he just slings it in. In the first half, Henderson found himself just slinging it in. The full, uh, Klein was slinging it in. Firmino, for me, I'm, I'm wondering, because he had a knock the other week, I'm wondering if he wasn't 100%. Mm, he didn't possibly. look himself to me. He didn't last week either, but I think a big a part of that is where he is on the pitch. Yeah. It might be, but there's something wasn't Roberto Firmino about that performance. I mean, and I know you're going to do it in detail, but, but Origi was the problem in, in twofold, from my point of view. Is one, the... the, the the, what's the word? The telepathy between the front three was gone. Mm-hmm. They didn't. Whereas with Coutinho and with the, and the other two, they knew what they were doing. Suddenly with Rigi, they didn't know. And and Rigi's just not as good as Coutinho by any stretch of the imagination. But he was. He wasn't. But you, time and time again, you saw the last pass about being about to be made. West Ham were a bit high up the pitch. You thought this is made. We're in here. And Rigi hesitated. He'd either drop a yard or go yeah. a yard. And Firmino and they'd all look frustrated. And time and time again, that happened. Yeah. And Rigi just didn't have a very good game. Do you think he plays a chance fit? Origi, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, so I, I, I think yeah. he might not do because I think that the manager might have one eye on wanting to keep one of Chan and Alden fit anyway for the Butter game, which yeah. we'll come on to talk about. But in general, I think the Origi thing's fascinating because he's now on four goals in four games. He's literally scored a goal a game. And in the meantime, I actually think his, his all-round performances, if you take the goal out, really have not been very good or very helpful towards Liverpool's general cause. But when you say, if you take the goal out, mm-hmm. you sound ridiculously churlish because... If Divock Origi is sitting next to Adam right now in the spare seat, he's saying, it's my job, mate. And, and that's... Taking out to Costa's game, for example. Exactly, yeah, as, as a really good example. And I sort of wonder that... It, for me, the question isn't just think, what do you think he does if Chan's fit? For me, the question is, what do you think he does if, if Sturridge is fit? And I think right now, if Sturridge is fit and Coutinho isn't, he's playing a front two of Origi and Sturridge. And I think he's yeah. doing that with Mane in behind and giving Firmino a couple of games to rest up with whatever it is, this little thing that I think he probably is carrying to a certain extent mm. and given, and maybe having one eye there on changing it for Middlesbrough. Mm. Because I... And I think it's really important to point out that... I think it's easy to look at the bench at the minute and loads of people are going to go, look at our bench there and it's not as good as X, Y or Z. We play three up front. If you list our six options for up front, three of them are currently injured because you include Danny Ings and you can say, oh, well, it's Danny Ings as much as you want, but he'd literally either be, be starting that game or, or, or an option off the bench on 60, 65 mm. to change it up and shake it up. And I think if you look at any side, and I think we may end up needing one more because I think we may need to cover Mane anyway, not just the Cup of Nations, but in general. But I think if you look at almost any side though, they don't really go much deeper than, than six for three. There's, mm. there's, not, there's not a lot of sides knocking rounds who would go in deeper than six for a position where they're playing three. I don't know if, if you were to take Costa, Pedro and uh, William out of Chelsea's front three, I'm not quite sure where they're. Batshuayi possibly plays and the Oscar fifth. I, and they force Oscar in, but he's not a front three player. No. He's a midfielder. Mm. I think and only I th- Arsenal maybe have depth there, don't but they? But only in attacking midfield. I mean, you know, again, again yeah. if you, they've got two options for the front... For the, for, for the front uh, well, Beck's just just a write-off. So they're yeah. currently playing Perez. If for their front one that they tend to play is out, if two are out at the minute, you know we've got three out from six. Mm. I, I just think it's. I think we can get our own own backs. But where I'm frustrated, though, Adam is Liverpool got to show more patience. They've got to show more patience, but then they've simultaneously also got to take the opportunity. The, you, 56 touches or 62 touches or how many touches because different people count these things differently. You have in the penalty area. You've got to, you've, you've, you, Liverpool should be scoring more than just two goals, frankly. They really should be finding other ways to get the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, it was frustrating. Uh, I, I thought, I was disappointed. And West Ham defended well. They did, they did, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, they, you've got to say that. But then at, at the same time, 
62 touches in the box. You know, it doesn't matter how well you defend. If you've got an attack who's clinical, you're scoring three or four out of that. So, you know, I was disappointed with Klein's final ball yesterday. I was, I found that really frustrating, you know, and Mil- you can accept it a little bit more with, with Milner perhaps because he's just not that sort of player, but both of them were just doing brainless things that I can't get my head around at all why they're, they're doing it. But I just, I think, I think Rob's point about Origi and the, and the sort of, uh, the matchup between all of the front three is, is really interesting. Uh, and I agree, I agree completely with the, te- the telepathy between them. And I saw Paul, um, Cope uh, tweeted something yesterday saying he's become like the the archetype centre forward where he's bagging your goals but doing nothing else for the team. And I think that's a really good summary of what he's doing. Yeah, he's scoring, but I think as a team, we're losing a lot by having him in this. We might be getting a goal, but we could be getting two or three goals with a front three that understands it's it's itself or, or getting out of a Bournemouth with three one. Well, yeah, exactly. Or doing that, you know, and it, because he's not because his performance is. It's not just take the goal out and his performance is mediocre. I think take the goal, his performance has been poor the last two games, and that's the difference. I think it, so. You, you do sound cheerily saying take the goal out because he's saying that's my job, but his job's to be part of a team, and he's not even doing that at the moment, which is why I, I, I and I really rate him. I think he's going to be some player, and when he's on it, like there was like a ten minute patch yesterday when he was really on it, and no one could touch him, and he was bustling people off the ball on the touchline and powering forward and all that, but. You know, I mean, let's be honest. His goal, even that, even that, is because the goalie drops it on his foot. He doesn't do something special to, you know, to kind of any. But you know, Firmino's up front in the same there. place. But yeah, but, but that's what I'm saying. Is for me, but Firmino is probably there, isn't he? If he's if he's playing in the front in the in the central yeah, position. Maybe. So you know, I think you've yeah yeah. I, I just think that I'm not, I'm not just, talking John Aldridge out of a career. Yeah. No, I, I just think <laughs> that know? of the of the of of all the situation at the moment, we're, we're losing patience. But I think we've we've also. I think Origi's a bit of a blunt instrument, so it's harder to be patient when you haven't got that incision. Uh, yeah, I think Origi, I think Origi's got a big game in him where he contributes. I mean, people forgetting this: the second half against Tottenham when he plays with Sturridge, um, he runs the show. He's not just hanging on the shoulder, hoping for a chance and, and taking it nicely. He runs the show. The thing we've got about Origi, you know, a point I made at the end of the window, and obviously I always want us to buy one more player, but I did feel, I mean, you know, take Neil's point about six options. It sounds a, a nice number, but... No, no, I think it I, should be seven. Well, OK, but I, I said at the beginning of the season, and, and now I'm counting the vindication to a degree here, I said, Origi's raw. He, that, whatever anyone says about him, he's raw. He had purple patch last season, but he also had a patch before then where you think, what the fuck is Origi? Yeah, and he, we can see this now in phases again. Sturridge, you know, we, people say, look, he's been back for a few months. But he always had a, a one-week injury that could become a six-week injury and maybe beyond. That was always in storage. And Ings, as Paul said earlier, Ings hadn't proven himself really at the top level that we need that's, that's comparable to a Firmino, Coutinho and Mane level. So there were question marks against the immediate backup three for me. Of course, when we're flying, the front three are fit, and you go, oh, look, we've got Sturridge on the bench and Origi. It looks great. I think we were short at the start, and I do think we need to act to fix this. Mm. I think... I'm not. I'm not often one to defend age as a, as a, um, as a thing for defence. You know, um, he is he is 21, Arigi, and I don't think you can expect him to be. How can I put it? To be putting in the the performances, of storage and and the like. You know, because a little bit. I think if I think because he's been around a while and we signed him a, a while ago. I think people forget he's 21, Arigi, where. I think people will be a bit more forgiving or are a bit more forgiving of the likes of Rashford and Ineonacho. I know Ineonacho, I think there's six months between them. They score goals, but you think, oh, he's a young lad, blah, blah. Arigi's in the, Arigi's in the same boat, and don't get me wrong. That's I really think, fair. I think um, 
How could I put well, that's my point. He is. He's entitled to be raw. Oh yeah, yeah he is. He's, he's very. He's very much entitled to be raw, Rob. Um, but I don't think we cut him enough slack for his but, age sometimes because is, he is. He is. Let's put it this way: Roberto Firmino is our first choice striker, isn't he? Uh, then you've got Daniel Sturridge, and then we're, we're having to move our due to Coutinho's injury, our best player to playing wide left and then playing a, a, a kid through the middle. It's not. It's not. Arigi's fault that Coutinho can't play with Firmino almost the fact that we're not as fluid is down to the fact the that fact our best player is not playing every week as well you can argue that the, the, the issue is that we haven't got it's actually that what we're missing is the, the next lad along the line who covers Manny and Coutinho not that we're missing someone else to cover that number nine position Firmino should got never have to move left or right that, that, that's my thing if, if Firmino's fit and firing he's the number nine the fact that the lad on the left hand side in Coutinho has got injured. I, I it's not you, I, really Origi's fault because the system has then had to change and you've lost the best of your best player. I think you can move Firmino, but you've got to have storage next to him then. Mm. I think that's straightforward because you can argue, you can argue that Which storage. Get, we, we've seen this one Leicester, before. Leicester, we were full, yeah. and, and the actual opening goal, even though we, I don't think he touches the ball, the opening goals because Firmino and storage are swapping. Mm. And I think that there's an issue, which is that, and I think it's just a really interesting psychological issue that after he plays against Burnley, Daniel Sturridge talks loads about wanting to play through the middle rather than play wide. Mm. He does the interview. But actually, when he played against Leicester, where he theoretically started in the middle, he did loads of his best work. Drifting wise, yeah. and it's how this is sort of how footballers' mindsets work. Whereas Firmino is quite open to the idea that I'll start here and drift here. But but Origi's not that interested in the left conceptually. He's very interested in the right. He pulls that way all the time. He goes and plays that channel. That's why you see a bit more of Mane coming in. I think mm. so. It's not just I think the idea that but you can't do that. I think he can as long as whoever goes and plays up front in Firmino's stead is constantly creating space for Firmino to come in and fill. I think and that's why it was interesting in the wake of Coutinho's injury that uh, Wijnaldum started. On on the left against Leeds, didn't he, in the cup, which I thought was really interesting because it felt a little bit like Klopp was saying, "What well, well, who's going to play where Coutinho plays because I don't want to move Firmino particularly. Uh, and I think you're totally right. The that's age my, thing is totally on whether fair. Whether played as well. Yeah, oh, yeah, I agree, yeah. And I think the age, I think your age point is, is totally fair. But much like, you know, you might say about the goalkeeper, there's a league to win. And I think it's totally fair. But that's why I agree with Neil that the, the recruitment thing is where in January, you know, we, we've jet, we're still only six points off Chelsea. And if we beat them at Anfield, we're only three points off them. So there's still a league to be won if we if we can get our act together. Mm. But but that's the, that's the key question, isn't it? That's how you are. Adam Smith there segueing nicely, but away um, the graveyard of Liverpool sides in the past Rob Gutman yeah. uh, you and I have both been separately probably when we didn't even know each other when we were mere pups <laughs> you and your wilderness years me just graduated from <laughs> university we have been uh, at Middlesbrough watching ice on ball watching awful yeah. awful awful things happen at a terrible away in the depths of winter we're going together on Wednesday night are we going to be heartbroken or are we going to be alright we're going to be fine that was then, this is now. What happened then does not affect what happens now. Let's, uh, in fact, I've I'm, I'm still got some hazy memories of Torres banging one in at Middlesbrough yeah. somewhere along the line. Off Did we, we win or draw? I don't know. I think it might just be about you know, the, the right type of game for sort of the right sort of time. Not too hard that you, you think, she's. I wouldn't want to go to Arsenal or Chelsea or just this week. But Borough... As long, I think it might bring our steel back out of us. Actually, it might bring out our focus and determination. Don't get me wrong; it's not it's not three points you take for granted. But I want the football. I what? think I think the Borough want the football. They want to be in control. They like to yeah. have the ball themselves. They, they, they're solid in the middle of the park. I think it could suit us in that regard. They tactically are a side that sets up to want the ball and look to break on you as well. And they want to break down, so they might come out a little bit more than they would. I wouldn't want them at Anfield this week. I wouldn't like to be. Do you know what? In, in a weird sort of way, I'm not sure I'd be thrilled about playing them on a Tuesday night at Anfield this week in the wake mm. of how we've just played 
it's we're, we're, we're ripe to be frustrated by a team that wants to sit deep at the moment. If it hasn't been the problem all season, but when your confidence is down, yeah. That's something it may not be the... I'm far from confident we'll win it, although I think we can. Um, it may not be the worst fixture just right now. Paul Hogan. No, I, I'm still positive. I think I think there's, there's still a, you know even in that game yesterday and the Bournemouth game some of the football we played superb. Um, it's easy to overlook it, isn't it? Really, because yeah. you're, frustrate, you're frustrated with either the, the final ball or the ball or the, or the final effort not coming. But we, the fact that we got that many touches in the box, they don't want us in their penalty area. Yeah. It's not like they were going, oh, we'll defend, the, we'll defend the penalty spot. They, yeah. You know, we were playing good stuff to get to that point. I think we forget. I mean, we hit the crossbar. From where I was sitting, I didn't watch match of the day last night because it was just, I was just too frustrated. <laughs> but. Uh, it looked like a definite penalty to me as well. Yeah, Lana, yeah. 100%. Yeah. So, you know, it was still there for us, you know. Henderson's efforts. Henderson's efforts. Oh, so, you God, know. Yeah. Yeah. Five, I, I watched it back this morning, the highlights. In this, uh, on top of Henderson's effort, there's five quality half chances. Not like, oh, well, we're definitely going to score. We only had three shots on target, which I found, well, coming home from the game, I found that amazing. But, you know, Wijnaldum has three yeah. good efforts mm. in the second half yeah. where a little bit more luck. It's, you know, Klein has one where he has to work the keeper in the second half. Where great move, it opens out everything out. And in the first half, Firmino has a bit of a sitter on his head. There's yeah. the matter... There's a lot of action. It's not like, you know, there are many a blunt day we've had in the past. We struggle to think the chance we made in the game. Um, now, I'm not saying we made like, like that famous Julio, not Julio, Rafa game where we made 27 chances against Stoke and still ended up drawing. But in terms of our chance creation, it wasn't terrible. I just think our confidence has gone a bit there. Mm. Yeah. But I think yeah, when it there. comes to the Middlesbrough game, I think the fact that it's Middlesbrough and we're going to the Riverside is a thing for the fans, but it shouldn't be a thing for the players because the only player who was there when they were last in the Premier League is Lucas. You know, if he's shitting himself over Middlesbrough, then we've got serious problems. I, I think they... I totally agree with, with Rob's point that what these last two games... And, and actually, you've got to say the last four games because we've got five points from 12 now. Mm. So the, the last four games, m- what happens now is the next few. And, and I think that there is no reason with the way that we can play when we're on it that we can't win all three of the games we've got left uh, before four of the games, whatever it is, before New Year now. And I think we can go to Middlesbrough and... I don't think we're going to see the best performance that we've ever seen from a Liverpool team, but I think you're, you're right. We could see the steal and we could see the determination and we could see us, you know, get the three points and just start to get back into a decent position. I think we're being harsh on, on Liverpool as well because the, because of the ambitions we've got as well. I mean, this, this, the last two games, I don't think any of them you go, we performed really poorly. Mm. You know, it's not like you've gone from being the Harlem Globetrotters, which we look like, to, to Everton. Do you know what I mean? It's it's not like we we, we look that bad. It's we're making we're making mistakes and it, it's it slips into our game. If Liverpool turn up and just do what they do and eradicate these silly things we're doing, they win. And I think they win most football matches against most sides. I think we can step it up a gear as well. And I think we've got another gear that we found against Watford, Hull, Leicester, and the like. But there's no, there's no reason this Liverpool side isn't mature enough to just turn up at the Riverside and beat them 5-0. I think the thing about this season as well is th- these silly mistakes that have come through, they're not they're not something that's just occurred over the last two games. We've yeah. Pretty much all season we've had these, we've conceded the goals. Yeah, we've conceded silly goals. It's just that in these two games they've actually cost us. Mm. Um, but it's been happening anyway and I'm sure, it, you know, well, hopefully it won't continue, but it is, it, it's there, isn't it? Yeah, it is, it is. It's the risk versus reward thing. I think it's really interesting in that... Using the Lana foul, excuse me for the for the the opener, for instance. Well, that's partially because Lana's trying to win the ball back. So he wants to counter attack. Mm. 
I think loads of what we do, and I think maybe the manager may, may decide to have a little think or look about that. But I think loads of what we do is is based around this. Well, you know, we're, we're we're trying to play a certain type of football, and we're going to keep trying to play it, and that's mm. the only thing that makes sense to change. That doesn't make any sense really at this stage of the season. It's a bit different if you've got say five games to go, possibly. But at this stage of this, and you're in contention. But at this stage of the season, I think you know it's cut loose to getting points on the board, Rob, and that's all it is. I mean, I, I genuinely sort of think that it's 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 getting as many points on the board by game twenty eight as possible. And if in the meantime Chelsea just simply don't stop winning, then we've all just got to shrug our shoulders and cop for it. But if Chelsea and when Chelsea do stop winning, we've got to say, well, we're going to take advantage. And I think that's the, it's sort of the forgotten art of all this is, is, is you know, be on 60 points, game 28, 62 points, game 28, 10 games to go, and then you never know, you can put a run in. Yeah, it's, it's all questions of degree. Chelsea are going to stop winning. That's as sure as day follows night. It's not like a, to- a coin that's tossed. In fact, if anything, the more they win, eventually the burden of, of that run will take its toll. And I hope that uh, Echoes Neil Jones, when he's been on shows with me, is, has this theory, and I've watched it every time, and he's spot on. If you've been on a massive long winning run and you stop winning, you then don't win the next the second and third game. And it's amazing often that And so what I'm talking about with degree is when Chelsea's run ends... How badly will it end? That's going to affect the title race hugely. Our, our sequence has ended. It's how bad it is. If we bounce back now, as Adam said, as I said, is eminently po- we're all saying is eminently possible, and this isn't an issue. We now need to begin our next run. I th- you know, there's blips, and I think if we extend this into Middlesbrough and Everton, we're going to go, ah, I think this isn't a title-competing season, really, unless something, mara- unless something marvellous suddenly happens. I don't think it's going to be one of them. Let's be sensible. I think, but Ferg- I think you might. I think Ferguson said, didn't he? he? Said as long as you're in position for Christmas, you'll be all right for a title run. And I think as long as we, the, the, these next couple of games before Christmas, we keep angling and keeping keeping up with them, even if it's the same points total as where it is now. What is it? Six points now. As long as it's no more than six points by New Year's Day, I think I think we'll, we'll, well be these, all right. These two aren't bank. Middlesbrough and Everton looked looked back on from a few games ago. We're not bankers. No. Bournemouth away was a near banker and West Ham home was a banker. We simply have to pay those back now. Yeah. That's what that's the way I always look about it. I th- I think You've got to go and win at Middlesbrough and Everton, I, th- I think. I think it'd be interesting to see if they have to deal with injuries like we've had to deal with injuries. How yeah. how well will these other teams deal with that? Because yeah. we have we've had a stinker when it comes to injuries, really. And last month, yeah. Yeah, it, you know, key injuries. I'm not sure whether Chelsea have got the depth to be able to deal with the key injuries that we've had to deal with. They scrape home yesterday a little bit, Chelsea. Take Hazard okay. out of that. Take yeah. Hazard out of that team. Mm. I think you're spot on, and I, I was just about to say, I know it's quite trite to sort of talk about luck, but there were there were sort of two mistakes, if you like, in both games. The mistake in the Chelsea game was made by a West Brom defender. The mistake in our game was made by our goalkeeper defender, whatever you want to say. Mm. If you flip them, They've dropped three points and we've won three points. You know what I mean? Like it, that, that it is that tight. And I do think you know it's, we're not going to talk about it. But you know, the goal, if the referee does his job, we've got we're two all going into half time and we're probably going to win the match. It, those little things do turn seasons and can turn seasons for any team. Chelsea so, should have been beaten the week before at City. It's, it's mm, that simple. I'm very pleased that Adam thinks that we needed. Uh, we just needed the extra two minutes <laughs> in order to get the result against uh, in the end there against West Ham United. Uh, but it's the right attitude. You can always get more minutes. Always get some more. Always get more opportunities. The manager's come out fighting today in his press conference and fair play to him for that. He will back his footballers. He just asks that we do the same and I think we can do that as well. We can also talk honestly about them and I hope you've enjoyed us doing so. Thank you very much, Adam Smith, Rob Cutman, Paul Senior and Paul Hogan. Alex Garrow's produced this bit. I'm producing the bit that follows and that's, uh, this is Peter Marshall right now talking about his documentary that's airing tonight on ITV after news at 10. Here he is. 
Really pleased to be joined now by Peter Marshall. Uh, Hillsborough documentary coming out on the, after the news at 10 tonight on ITV. Uh, there's been stuff coming about it all weekend. You've seen, for instance, David Conn uh, about it. It's called Hillsborough Smears, Survivors and the Search for Truth. It's 20 to 11 tonight in the UK. I'm saying this on Monday. It'll be available on, on ITV Player after the fact if you're in the UK, if you miss it. And it'll be available out at some point worldwide, Peter said there, that they are going to sell it to a worldwide audience, so it should be available for people there. But, Peter, it's something that you've been working on now for, well, many senses as you'd say yourself for, for, for you know since 1989 but it's very much now being be, be, last three years has been pretty intense working on this yeah because i mean i've been speaking to survivors from the lepping lane terrace in the past three years and uh, they, they've done an awful lot of work and checked out stuff themselves with the half a million hillsborough documents they've made connections and joined the dots and uh, we've been making the program itself for the past six months so uh, yes it's good to get it done um you mentioned there that there, there, there are these sort of organisations of, of, of survivors who have been working so, so hard to comb over this material that, that, that's come out as part of the HIP report. I mean, the HIP report was the report itself, but there were, there were that enormous dump of documents, which were, you know, many of which were, were almost more interesting than the report in a few senses once, once you delve down into them because they create this web of text, don't they, really, which, which tells you so much of that, both tells you what it's trying to conceal but also tells you what it is that what people were trying to conceal but also what was, what, what was unspoken at the time, what was hidden at the time. I mean, those documents, I've spent some time just sort of combing through them and in, in, in many senses you can sort of get lost in them for a while so that there's these teams of people working together is very important. It is, and you need people with a really good brain for that sort of thing, which is pretty rare. And there's one particular individual who is known by his online moniker. He doesn't want his real name to be revealed. Yeah. His online moniker is Tenacious Kennedy, or also the wrong Kennedy. It's the same chap. And he is, he's brilliant, and he's found out stuff, which we've now had our own people investigating, and myself and colleagues have, have looked at it. And uh, we, we found out that the deductions he's made have, have actually been found to be true, and we've, we've borne them out and checked them out and got them legally sound, and that's what's on TV tonight, and it is pretty disturbing stuff. It, it, it's it's stuff that hasn't come out before, and I think that's the. Oh yeah. I, I mean, this is the, this is the key thing here. I mean, for instance, it was released over the weekend about uh, about Sir Dave Richards's evidence, uh, which right. hopefully will be uh, investigated by Operation Resolve. But that's come out over the weekend. But there's much, much more, isn't there? That that's going to be within this documentary about, and it is very much focusing not on simply the events of the 15th of April, but on 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 the weeks and months that passed. Yeah, we're looking at an alleged police cover-up with with serious serious. Uh, allegations about an alleged police cover-up involving not just South Yorkshire police, who were responsible for policing Hillsborough, but West Midlands police, who, who were supposed to be investigating South Yorkshire in, in the months that followed. And there are serious questions about them, about the way they treat witnesses, and about the way that they, uh, they took in certain evidence which we found to be questionable. And this is... I mean, you've mentioned there that the person that you mentioned before who doesn't want doesn't want the name to be given up is you know this is sort of ongoing as well with re, with reference to Operation Resolve and with the IPCC, isn't it as well? You know, Peter, the, the the sort of documentary work that you're doing here and especially the work that's being done with these documents, it is all feeding in, into the wider investigations that are that, that remain ongoing, but hopefully will report either toward well, probably not now towards the end of this year, but certainly hopefully by spring, sort of summer next year. Yeah, I mean the the the, 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 the... IPCC and Operation Resolve, the two criminal investigations, are supposed to send their files to the Crown Prosecution Service by January or in January. And the Crown Prosecution Service, it'll take them three to six months to decide 
uh, who, or if there were to be prosecutions, and that's what people are waiting for, because people want prosecutions. I mean, the, the evidence we found is, is, it shocked me, and you know, you, you think you can't be shocked by, by some Hillsborough stuff, but it, it is pretty shocking. It's. I know you can't give too much away, both now and also when the, because not least because you know the, the the show is airing, but you know it is. It, it it now feels sort of like the, almost the defining event of 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 that entire decade, Peter. And 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 the longer that people are dwelling on it, it sort of feels as though it's the thing that punctuates so many of so many attitudes that permeated so many cultures that went badly badly wrong across the course of the decade. That it's it's become this sort of it's almost become where lots and lots of different ley lines meet. Uh, and I think that that you know, for instance, there's the Orgreave stuff, which you know is conveniently overlooked by people so very often. And the, all of this now is is it's it feels as though it's it, it's ramping up into ju- just at some point when this evidence does go to the CPS and then hopefully I, I mean the IPCC said that they will publish everything when everything is published and, and it'll be another web of documents another it's it's it, it's almost endless in many senses and that's both a bad thing because it, people are still caught up in it all but it's a good thing in that more and more is just coming to light. Yeah, I mean, I, I think survivors want it all sorted out and, you know, they want to exercise the whole thing, as, as do, I think, most of the bereaved. I mean, you know, they don't want to dwell on it, but they want the truth. And, you know, the truth is still not, not revealed, really. Uh, I mean, there's extraordinary things. I mean, I'll, I'm, not, I'm happy to tell you about what, what's in the programme, basically. I mean, there's ridiculous stuff, like the referee, the match referee, Ray Lewis, uh, the man who had to stop the match, his statement was... Uh, was changed. He told police that, you know, on the way to the ground, he was asked how was sports. He said he saw them, and there were Liverpool and Forest fans together, and they were mixing happily. They they were mixed and uh, all all fine. And his statement was taken down by a West Midlands chief superintendent, who wrote that down as in handwriting as mixed. But then, when he sees 25 years later, when Ray Lewis sees his statement at the FA. Uh, where it's been deposited in advance of the inquests, mixed has become pissed. So he's, he's now saying the fans were pissed. Now, <laughs> that's just absurd. And we've seen the handwriting, and there's no way it can be confused. So, you know, he thinks that uh, it was there to put in that, to, to put in that way to stand up uh, a police theory at the time. Uh, and he's very angry about it. Now, there's chief superintendent who, who took this statement. We've got footage of him four years after Hillsborough briefing Aston Villa and Birmingham City uh, briefing police in West Midlands before a Villa, I think it's Birmingham Derby game, mm-hmm. and saying, "Be careful today, because remember Hillsborough, uh, the fans arrived late and drunk." And he says, "This is four years after Hillsborough. Uh, five years on, in 1999, this chief superintendent is jailed for for 18 months for uh, for a massive uh, 90,000 pound fraud." He's called short chief Curry Mason, and he died at the start of this year. It's. It, it is sort of. I mean, I'm, I'm just shocked by the, the, the brazenness of that. But it, it, it tells you so much about about the culture at the time, Peter. That that it, it goes unchallenged. That it can be got away with, and that it's not just simply the events, as you say, even on the day. That that, that that's West Midlands Police. Yeah, well, it's 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 pretty shattering when you hear that. I mean, Ray Lewis, the referee, couldn't believe it, but he's a, you know he's, he's a great guy, and he says, well, when he saw the statement, they were pissed. They hadn't said that. He said, that puts me in a bad light with all sorts of people. I mean, he's first of all, he wouldn't use that language, he says, but he certainly didn't believe that. You know, he thought Liverpool fans, the Forest fans, everybody was all well behaved. When we talk about what's going to happen, you know, you mentioned that the documents, the documents are going to the CPS in um, in January. I mean, you mentioned that people want to see things, uh, want to see charges handed down, and 
and stuff getting chased along. I mean, I, I think we've got to be careful in general, Peter. I always try to sort of emphasize this. I know you do as well. That we, you know, the, the both the survivors and the bereaved. There's uh, it, it's a lot of different people who think different things, um, yes. and I think that that's you know it's an important thing to sort to always dwell on that you can't you, you you can't talk about it. You know, even the ninety six families, you can't talk about them as a homogenous mass. You know, that everyone thinks different things, and and that's an important thing. But it is important, isn't it, now that we just get to the end of this process that it, it, you know if it, it would be fantastic if say come by 2018 people were able to feel as though even those who want to see it go all the way absolutely until you know right the way through until the whole thing until there's, there's charges handed down until there's possibly even prison sentences and we've got to be careful what we say around that but that you know that it's it's so important now that this this just gets finished the the, the hip report was very very important the inquest's unbelievably important but the, getting to the end of this now for as many people as possible has got to be the focus I think so, yeah. I mean, people want to be sure that the, the process has been exhausted, they've had proper justice, and they've got uh, a just result. I think that's what, what everybody would want, yeah. Do you find, when you do these sorts of shows, just to sort of sum it up, these documentaries that you do, these reports, do you find it harder and harder, or <laughs> concerningly, is it sort of becoming easier and easier, uh, in a few senses, to put over to people what, what the late 1980s were like? Because, you know, we work in our office with, with, with some young young men and they often have some questions as to sort of how this this could have happened and contextualizing that i always find is, is one of the one of the toughest things so you know when you're looking to to go through these sorts of smears i mean you know we'd like to think we're a long way removed in many senses we might not be i mean you know there's, there's lots of talk of fake news and things at the minute but it is something which you know which it's difficult to put over isn't it what literally what britain was like in 1989 for a lot of people yeah i mean i i, I don't honestly think you know things have changed that radically, really. I mean, you know, it's always the same, we were like that then, we're not like that now. But any organisation, uh, you know, seeks to, to change itself and to improve itself, but there are always flaws. And uh, I, I think, you know, people who are who are in trouble do try to cover up their, their guilt, and that, that will always happen. That's why people need to be, any organisation needs to be monitored, needs to be answerable for, for, its, for its doings. Okay, it's um, Hillsborough Smears, Survivors and the Search for Truth, ITV, uh, at 20 to 11 uh, this evening, 10.40 uh, after news, on, news at 10. Hillsborough Smears and Survivors, the Search for Truth. Uh, thank you very much to Peter and for everyone else who's come on the Anfield Up this week. Sports Social Podcast Network.